0: Alright, you guys, we're gonna get started. I'm gonna give you just a second to move into like, relax, move into Shabbat. You're welcome, honestly, in this moment. If you want to lean back in your chair and close your eyes, I'm gonna read you a little story, okay? So just take a moment, take a deep breath close your eyes, you can sit, you can stand, whatever you feel. Okay, so, it literally starts out with once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a family of transitionaries who boldly stepped onto a floor called engagement. As day season approached, an uncovering took place and it was the uncovering of the separation that had transpired on earth. Each member of this family began to examine where the separation between themselves and Yahweh had taken place. Day season broke through and a commitment turned into a vow to walk out the new. This family became a people who walked through divestment, divorcing themselves from the very thing that allowed separation between them and their beloved. They vowed to lock eyes and cling to the one that their soul always desperately cried out for. As this family entered into Shavuot, each one received their refinement as they counted the Omer. They were a people who hungered to be a place where Yahweh's spirit could land. The refinement made room for a reconfirmed covenant to take place. It opened up the door for the mysteries of Yahweh to be unlocked ultimately the refinement process made room for the loving instructions of the father to be revealed in an even greater way deep intimacy became the doorway to stir hunger for more of him and his ways their hunger began to grow tremendously the more they hungered for him the more they became like him and the more they became like him the more they multiplied him they were known in heaven as a family who was poor in spirit, thus being known as a family who always hungered for more. All of heaven's provision began to pour out. As his provision fell, transformation took place. The dismantling of what they'd always known stirred a, long, a longing to explore what they were being released into. They were not satisfied with empty celebrations so they pursued what they were missing. The distance grew wider from what they had been set free from. But for what? That was the ultimate question that this family became more and more hungry to receive the answer to. A burning desire to understand what they had been redeemed from and redeemed for would soon be met. As day shifted to night and a new year, came it unveiled itself with a weighty reminder this weighty reminder presented itself and it was the unforgettable truth that two competing mantles could not remain in the same place this set-apart family was willing to face the most difficult of moments each one stepped into a place to say I will lose it all to keep his presence Yahweh's judgment was released and scrolls were eternally transformed This judgment in return granted permission for his spirit to dwell. This family created history. They moved boulders that held him back from getting to his sons and daughters. They aligned with a new era and ushered in the most beautiful place for Ruach to dwell. I just wanted to remind you of what you have walked through the past six months. That was literally only the day season that we walked out just recently. And stepping into the night season, there is so much that he is getting ready to release over this family. And like it was released last week, we have a mother and a father in this home who have come in and removed those boulders in order for his spirit to flow in our lives and in this home. So tonight, I want you to reflect and remember. Remember what happened these past six months, just six months of your life. Remember the divestment you went through. Remember the loyalties that you pledged to him. Remember what you are walking out and what you're stepping into. That's what makes everything you're doing right now in these 10 days worth it. Because he's pulling everything out of you. Not one thing is gonna be left that isn't of him so that he can send us into this next year as a completely refined family, as a completely refined people. Mom and dad. Thank you for continuing to stand in that place to usher in something that I, I feel like earth has never seen, like in my life and in, I'm sure, much longer, that earth has never seen the things that you guys usher in, and we're just eternally thankful for that.
1: How's everybody doing? I'm trying to think of where to start <clears throat> um, tonight. We wanted to continue from last Friday by kind of teaching or, or imparting vision as far as what is the what is the meaning of. Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement, and, and how do we fit into that? Like, how do we, how do we orient ourselves and what we're doing as a, as a family going through a fast in honor of the Day of Atonement, and how that ties into the term that Apostle Tanya brought up about teshuva, the Hebrew word teshuva. Have you guys been studying that? Have you guys had a chance to dive into that? It's, uh, simply put, people will call it repentance or, you know, uh, like changing your ways, but it's much, it's much more than that. And it's like, I believe the whole word is kind of expresses the father's heart of teshuva, the whole word. And they're, they're interconnected with the day of atonement and how we fit into that. Um, If you look at Isaiah 46.10, it basically says, or we'll start at verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient time, and what is yet to come, saying my purpose will stand, and I will accomplish all that I please. And it's important for us to know that, that, God is going to do what he pleases, and he had declared the end from the beginning. In the beginning, he positioned himself to declare the end. And in that father's declaration, he gives us partnership in that. Like he knows what's coming, and he knows that there's still some yet to come, and he positioned himself at the beginning to declare what was going to happen at the end. And he gives us an active part in that when we talk about the scriptures about were the light called to govern the feasts. I've been trying to think of how to put this. It's almost like when we talk about Christianity in general, and the focus of Christianity is saving souls, right? Leaving the 99 for the one and going all out for that purpose while at the same time lacking to govern the, the appointed times that he's called us to govern. So it's like you can focus all your attention in harvesting souls without having any investment in the governance of the appointed times that are yet to come that he declared from the beginning and taking no prophetic part that he's given us to take I've been trying to think about that all day. How can I say this in a way that it makes sense? Because there's something, I was talking to Kendra about it in the foyer. There's something in me that is just getting so uh, just not frustrated, but just growing intolerant of, of just, you know, like, what are, what are we here for? What are we here for? Do you guys ever ask yourself that? I I ask myself that constantly. What what is our purpose? What is my purpose? What is the, the purpose of his people? And am I fulfilling that? Am I walking in that purpose? Right? And I want us to know that from the beginning, right? We're talking about going back to the beginning. And in the position of the beginning, Yahweh declared the end and things that are still yet to come. So that means there's things that have not been fulfilled And his appointed times, his feasts, are the mechanism for us to participate and govern and call in the things that have been yet to come. Does that make sense? So when we talk about the feasts or the high holy days or the, the holy convocations, the Pesach, you know, Shavuot, all of those things, it's been... In general, Christendom, it's been relegated to, well, those are Jewish things, and they do that because they have to do it, because they have a big do and don't list, and we're no longer subject to that, and we're not going to touch any of that with a 10-foot pole. But we're going to harvest some souls. We're going to have a revival. How many, I'm almost sick of the word revival, honestly. And social media is at blame for a lot of this. Because, right, if we didn't have social media, you wouldn't, you would just go on about your business and not care what so-and-so's doing in Nebraska or the revival in whatever or wherever it's happening. The next revival. And the prophets are declaring the next revival. And the biggest harvest of souls ever is coming. Right? And we focus on revival and harvest of souls. Yet we've been given an active role to participate in what is still coming By way of his appointed times that he said, you shall honor and celebrate forever, for generation to generation. And by the way, he didn't say, celebrate these Jewish feasts. He said, these are my appointed times. If as a father, I tell all five of my children, this is something that is mine, and I want you to honor it for your entire life, and one of my children is exceedingly great at honoring what I said, and all the other ones forget to honor it, and they never do it, and they neglect it, they stray far away from it, all of a sudden, is it going to become, well, that's an Anaya thing. How easily we forget, no, no, as the father of the house, this was my instruction, This is something I said, this is what happens in my house. This is not an Anaya thing because she does what I told her to do with excellence. The other kids can say, well, that's an Anaya thing. No, no, that's not an Anaya thing. That's a, a father thing, and she just happened to listen. Right? So we have to understand that he declared these things from the beginning and he gave us a way to participate because he called us to govern the feasts that he, by the way, said to celebrate and honor forever. Right? It's amazing to me when you fast. I want you to go to Psalm 119, verse 65. There's something about The process you guys are engaged in that allows you to share in his suffering, right? When you humble yourself and you suffer affliction for his sake because you want to elevate his purpose above your own, there's something very powerful about that. Psalm 119, we're looking at verse 65. There's we all know the verse that, uh, you know, there there's some things that can only be broken by prayer and fasting. Right. We know that we've all heard that. Right. And that's like the fasting scripture that everybody quotes. Right. Oh, yeah, brother, there's, you know, some things can only be broken by prayer and fasting. Right. We all know that we've heard that. A hundred million times. Well, I want to I point out Psalm 119 because I want us to understand that the fasting that we're traditionally called to engage in for the Day of Atonement causes things to happen. Okay? Psalm 119, verse 65. You do good to your servant, Adonai, according to your word. Teach me good sense and knowledge for I trusted in your mitzvot. Before I was afflicted, before I fasted, before I humbled myself, before I lowered myself, that's what affliction means, I went astray. So if you're not in a state of lowliness or affliction or humility, the tendency is that you're going to go astray. Okay? But it says, but now I keep your word. You are good and you keep doing good. Teach me your decrees. Though the proud smear to lie on me with all my heart, I keep your precepts. Their minds are insensible, but your Torah is my delight. It is good for me that I was afflicted so that I may learn your decrees. The Torah from your mouth is better to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. So, like, next time you're in the in the Christian circles and and people are doing a fast and they're like, "Amen, brother," can only be broken through prayer and fasting, right? Be like, well, hey, also when you fast, when you afflict yourself, you'll learn His decrees and you'll the Torah will be your delight, right? And then what's what's the, they're gonna be like? It's gonna be like a a, a broken record, like like what? But we have to understand when we talk about feasts the feasts come from the Torah right the Torah is our delight when you when you afflict yourself you you keep yourself from going astray right if there's waywardness in your life then it's probably because you're not in a state of humility or lowliness you're not in a in a place where he's elevated to the point where you're completely uh, completely decreased. So we're in this process as a family. We're in this fasting process of ultimately, no matter the mechanism, no matter how you specifically heard to do it, or engage in it, what we're all doing is decreasing ourselves and increasing him in our life, right? We're elevating his purpose above our own when we engage in this fast. And what's interesting is we now know that when you afflict yourself, you, you're you no longer wayward. It It defeats or mitigates waywardness in your life. So this morning as we woke up, Apostle Tanya was asking me, do you want to talk about or teach on Yom Kippur in the Day of Atonement tonight? And when she asked me that, which by the way, let me say this, if, and and this is 1,000% true, if we read the word through the filter of the calendar of the feasts, Do you know how much more understanding you would have of the word? Last week when she was talking about Yom Kippur, guess what happened? The earth was created on the feast of trumpets, on the the blowing of the shofar, the earth and the heavens were created. How much more then can we understand that when we fast on the same day of atonement, the same calendar day that the earth was created, the same ten days, that we are bringing our our wastefulness and our chaos and our darkness and submitting it to Him, submitting it to the Holy Spirit, so that He can speak on it? That's what's happening. I'm lowering myself and I'm bringing my, if I need a breakthrough, I'm bringing my chaos, my darkness, my wastefulness into the presence of the Holy Spirit so the Father can speak on it and bring light and life to the creation that's rough, right? So this morning after she asked me that question, I just, we were laying in bed and I started thinking to myself, Yahweh, I want to know what? things took place in scripture during the 10 days of awe. I want to know that because I'm going to have a different understanding of the word. If I understand, it's almost like we need to, we need to publish a Bible that has the scriptures and the calendar feasts. So you can see what's happening during which feasts. So I asked Yahweh and I believe I only heard this so clear instantaneously because we've been in the process of affliction and fasting and what we're stepping into and in it's divine time and it's ordained. So I asked him and instantly he said, the prodigal son returned home. <sighs> so I was like, I started Googling when I got up. I'm like, did the prodigal son return home during the, the 10 days of awe? And in Jewish tradition, sure enough, when he was crying out to Yahweh, praying about how he was going to return home and how he had dishonored his father, he, he, that was during the 10 days of awe. And he returned home on the day of atonement. So running with that, I, I was pointed out to the, the parable of the lost son. We know it as the parable of the lost son, singular. That's in Luke 15. If you have your word, I want you to go there. And we've heard these parables. This is what I'm talking about. Like I've I've read these parables, had no idea about the Hebraic calendar, not the Jewish calendar, but his his calendar, his appointed times. Had no idea. Right? And when you when you When you read these parables, we're left to our own assumptions and our own devices to try to figure out the context of a situation with having no idea of the original context, having no clue. Yeah, just fill in the gaps right? Make something that sounds good, that'll inspire the people. And we're not even talking on the, the, we're not even understanding what we're reading, because how can we, if we're not governing the times that he called us to govern, if we're not taking our prophetic place in his timeline, how can we possibly understand these parables? When Yeshua was talking, when when he taught these parables, the Pharisees were trying to find fault in him. They were trying to call him out. And you know what they said? They said, he receives sinners and he sits and eats with them. (laughs) That was their accusation. So his response, he said, for those who have ears to hear, before he started teaching these parables. I want to ask you something. If... Think about the, the last time you heard the sermon on the lost coin or the lost sheep. And what was the point of the sermon? Just sit, throw it out. What's what's the 99 and the 1? Yeah, he'll rescue the 1, right? Souls, right? And I'm not, hear me, I'm not, this is just where I'm at. So, but my point being, how can we, if you are essentially replacing Israel with yourself because the Jews screwed it up and so now the Gentiles are in and you're engaged in replacement theology and maybe you don't even know it, but that's how you think and you disregard the law Right, and you don't understand anything about the feast because you won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, how can you possibly understand the full context of this story, the prodigal son returning, when you don't even know that it was taking place on the Day of Atonement in the 10 days of awe? So the Pharisees accused him, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told this parable to them saying, which man among you, which I I just love, because Yeshua was almost like, okay, guys, like, let me, like, I could just see him being like, okay, so we're going to, this is how, this is the game you guys are going to play. So which, okay, let's talk about it, right? Like, which man among you is being like, really? Like, serious? Like, he, he was coming at them with some parables, and he was saying those with ears need to hear. Whoever has ears to hear. Which is another point, why would he say that? If it was so simple these parables? Why would he why would he say something like that? Get ready. Get your ears ready because I'm I'm going to teach you some truth right now. If it was really that simple. So he said, "Which man among you if he has If he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, will not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, if he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one repenting sinner than over the 99 righteous people who have had no need of repentance. So the lost sheep, right? Then he goes on to tell him, or which woman, right? Which woman among you, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search thoroughly until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents right? What is is that about? So he's telling the Pharisees, which were very good at accusation and debate and righteous positioning in, in, in like legal, right? Like they're going to put you in a corner. So then he says, if you have ears to hear, and then he talks about a lady has 10 coins and she lost one. What, what, what is he talking about? Well, that must just mean, you know, like uh, a lost soul. Like, I don't, does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't, I know the word is deeper than that. Like if (laughs) my little change jar, everybody usually has like a change jar, right? We got it in our kitchen, uh, the, the junk drawer. If I drop some pennies out of there, I don't care. Right? I'm not like, man, where were those three pennies? And I'm going to go search the house. Right? Like, what is he saying? Okay, then he goes on. So he tells the third parable. Then Yeshua said, a certain man had two sons. Two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that comes to me. God. give me the share of my property that comes to me so you have a younger son demanding of the father I want my inheritance I'm going to go do what I want with it so the father divided his wealth between them isn't that crazy like if if Jalen came to me and he's like dad I want my inheritance now and I'm out of here oh, okay here here's your part <laughs> I'd be like dude you're you're crazy not many days later the younger son gathered everything and traveled to a far country and there he squandered his inheritance on wild living now when he had spent everything a severe famine came against the country and he began to be in need so he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs and he was longing to fill up on the carob pods the pigs were eating but no one was giving him any But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have food overflowing, but here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your presence. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. There's almost like a, if we can understand this, you can almost see how, how wayward living And detaching from the father, you want his inheritance without the father. And detaching from that and going on your own way generates orphanhood. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Which you'll see in a minute, the father doesn't even think that. He doesn't come back and the father says, you're not worthy. You're going to have to show yourself approved and show me that you're worthy to be a son. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. <laughs> you, can, you can begin to see how this mindset is, is produced in church. Church meaning the, the religious place that most of us are accustomed to. Right? I'm not worthy to be a son. So now I'm operating in an orphanhood. And also I'm going to engage in hierarchy while I'm at it because I'm going to work myself back. Make me one of your hired workers. And he got up and went to his own father. This was on the day of atonement. But while he was still far away, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your presence. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves... Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Then they began to celebrate. Now listen, now his older son was out in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So the other son was working. Right? The other son was, was hard at work in the house, right? not physically in the house, but he's home. He's working, and he's coming, coming back to the house, and he hears a celebration. He doesn't know what's going on. He called out one of the servants and began to ask, what could these things be? The servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came outside and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, so many years I've slaved away for you. Not once did I ignore your order. Yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, the one who has squandered your wealth with prostitutes, for him you killed the fatted calf. Then the father said, son, you are always with me and everything that is mine is yours. But it was, with right, it was right to celebrate and rejoice because his brother of yours was dead, but now he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So we've, we've all heard these parables before, right? Your soul is so valuable that the, the lady that lost the one coin out of the 10 is is going to search the house and sweep the house why why did you know that in in Hebrew tradition this story is expounded upon to where the lady had 10 coins on a on a on a crown to represent covenant and she lost one of the coins so now all of a sudden this coin has a representation of covenant and so she's sweeping the house to, to find this part of this crown that represents covenant because that's how much honor she had for the covenant that that represented. Do you know, how many of you guys have lost your car keys? What good are your car keys if you can't find them? If you lost a hundred dollar bill, it, it doesn't, it, it means Nothing. Till you find it. You can't spend that $100. It does you no good. It has no use to you. Your car keys have no purpose, no value to you if you can't find them. I believe as I was reading these parables, Yahweh is, is pointing out his heart for teshuvah, because when we go through fasting and affliction during Yom Kippur in the Day of Atonement, Teshuva is returning something to its original state. And I believe it's not necessarily uh, uh, it's it's not a, a unclean and a righteous thing. It's not a I'm unclean and I've got to restore myself back to being righteous. It's a being lost and being restored back to being found. Do you know that you can be in his house and be lost? It's not just the lost sheep that are just out there or the prodigal son that's just out there. You can be a coin lost in the house. People say once saved, always saved. Once found, always found. That's not true. It's not consistent. It doesn't relate. You can't, do you, are you guys hearing me you can you can be in the father's house and be lost. So the par, the first parable is something lost in the house. The second parable is something lost in the wilderness and the and the prodigal son is not just the lost son there's two lost sons. one's lost in the house. one's lost outside of the house. And here you have the Father trying to appease both. When Yahweh, the the day of atonement is, is the holiest day of his calendar. The holiest day. Why do we rehearse? Why do we fast? Why do we afflict ourselves? Why are we doing that? We're doing that because we're preparing to receive his kingdom. Do you see how all of this, if you're just focused on saving souls, and I'm not saying that's bad. Obviously, I got saved by somebody who was purposing themselves to save souls. Right? I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying we can't. Do you see how all of this is missed if we just focus on, well, he, he left the 99 for the one. Those 99 were found. They weren't lost. They were found. It's about restoring what is lost to being in a state of foundness, if that makes any sense. So when we celebrate, we engage in this, we're preparing to receive his kingdom. And I'm telling you right now, part of what we're getting into in this night season, the greatest lie is what happened to his kingdom when it split, when it shattered. When we prepare to receive his kingdom, it's going to be in a state of fullness. And that means neither Jew nor Gentile. That means neither lost sheep or son in the house, neither prodigal or the one that stayed home. So you have a lost son who left, who left the house, who wanted his inheritance without the father. And you have a son who stayed home and tried to work his way into the father's graces. And they were both walking out orphanhood. So to me, when we talk about Teshuva and and the things that we're engaging in when we fast, is it a personal thing? Yes but we're governing the Moedim. We're governing these appointed times, which means we have an active role in what he declared at the end from the beginning. So if we have an active role, then we have to understand that it's not just about Derek. It's not just about Alexa or Amber. And what's happening is you engage in this feast, right? There's a teshuva process in you, but we're, we're calling forth The kingdom. And the kingdom isn't going to call forth and operate in its fullness with one brother over here and one brother over there and none of them are connected to the father in the the truest way. Right? Who is the person in the prodigal son story that was positioned correctly? Well, the, the father, yes. But when... But when the father, right, the son who left, he's thinking, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I'm going to have to make me one of your workers. I'll work my way back into your grace. And the father saw him like he was watching for him. He saw him. The day of atonement, did you guys come lay on this cot? There was a cot in here. When Gabriel had his day of atonement, moment on the day of atonement and he was warring in and of himself and he laid on that cot the father saw him Gabe may have been saying I'm not worthy to be a son I know I've sat in many a church services saying I'm not worthy to even sit in here right and he's struggling through all this stuff and on the day of atonement had no idea right did you know did you schedule that You know, the Day of Atonement's coming up, so I'm probably going to have to deal with myself. Right? You didn't do that. And he's like a prodigal coming home, and the father saw him. And as soon as he saw him, he ran out, and he kissed him on his neck. Said, get the calf. The other son who's been at home doing what he's supposed to be doing was angry. Now, which one of these... Which one of these sons is the Christian church and which one is uh, Israel or the Jews? Or or are now we the son, we're the, the Christians are the son in the house and Jewish people are starting to get enlightened about, about what's happening in the Messiah and all that. And now we're the son at home being like, what, what's the party for? We've been here doing what we're supposed to do this entire time. Right? It's, teshuvah is about something that was lost and now it's found. You can't be lost unless you were found to begin with. So Yahweh is restoring the lost ones to their original state of being found in him. And the whole point of it is to be found in in the house. It's not enough to just be in the house. You can be lost in the house. So for people that say, you know what? I'm saved. That's enough for me. You're just in the house. Is it enough to be that dime in the corner that nobody ever sees covered up with dust under a carpet, stuck in the couch, never fulfills its purpose, isn't valuable to anybody because they can't find it? So so what... As this family, what we're being called to, what we're engaging in, what we're calling forth, what we're participating in and taking the seat that Yahweh gave us as part of this is saying that we're going to be in the house, but we're going to be found in the house. We're going to be found in the dwelling place. The things that are lost in me, that are wayward in me, Yahweh's restoring it to himself. Yahweh's taking two lost sons and bringing them to himself. What is that? That's what, that's what mom was talking about. That's the two things colliding in a place of reconciliation. Where, where were we? What, what feast was it when we were in New Mexico? Yom Terua. And what was the, when we got together as two families and we prayed and we honored each other, what were we talking about? Two houses becoming one, one new man, neither Jew nor Gentile. Right, we have, to, we have to rise above the position of one son or the other son and which one's right and which one has a, has a righteous position and which one has an unclean position. We have to be concerned with what's found now that was lost. We've seen it in our ministry. There can be disciples and there can be 9 out of 10 disciples doing exactly what they're led to do. And one that's just all buck wild and reckless and like you can't even figure them out. And when are they going to get their stuff together? And all of a sudden they have a day of atonement. They have a cop moment and they start coming back. And as disciplers, you see them. And it's like so-and-so who's been here for 10 years, all-out disciple, like hardcore disciple, grab the robe for this one who's been just... right Come on now. Are we going to be like, "Well, I've been I've I've been all righteous and this unclean one just shows up out of nowhere and all of a sudden we're going to have a party?" Right? Come on. At your work, right? You follow the rules, you do everything, you you freaking you got your stuff together, you show up for work on time. Right? Maybe this doesn't apply to work, but, you know, then the guy who you like, you know he's wrong. You know this dude is wrong, right? And he gets promoted. And you're just like. (laughs) (laughs) But look, it's just she had 10 cents and she lost one. And heaven had a party when she found it. Like, and remember Yeshua he was he was dealing with Pharisaical spirits who were trying to find fault in him like a like a legal case. And do you think Yeshua the the Yeshua himself the son of man do you think he showed up to that fight and was like let me tell you about a lady with some coins? No, he was dealing with, with, they were upset because they said, he sits with sinners and he receives them. He sits with unclean people. They were righteous and they were judging him for sitting with unclean people. Well, it's not about righteous and unclean. It's about lost and found. i want us to understand when we talk about returning something to its original state when we talk about the day of atonement and what we're engaging in it's 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 awesome it seems like everybody has really dove into this whole thing which is amazing to see but we have to realize it's 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 an internal process but it's we're also taking part we're also rehearsing to receive the kingdom and if we know we're rehearsing to receive the kingdom then we have to acknowledge that it's about lost sons not one not one that's lost because that means the other one's found and, and righteous right there's two sons one's lost inside the house one's lost outside the house So it's not enough to be in the house. It's about being found in the house. I'd rather be lost and not in the house, and then all of a sudden found and received by the Father, than be in the house and be lost the entire time. And then when somebody's genuinely found, you're angry about it. Oh,
2: <laughs> I was like, oh, you're not going to say anything? He just looked at me and went like this. Like, that was the period? Uh, I don't think I'm going to make any sense. Um, so I, I think that, I think that we're, we're in a place for me to be able to just release some things in the spirit because I don't know if my mind is understanding everything, anyways. So, but we are in a position for our spirits to to receive. But um, he's talking about he said he's talking about the prodigal son. And he asked which ones which ones which one's the son, and he kind of gave both perspectives, and that's awesome. But I can't help but hear it from the perspective that the church is out there, right? Because when you're feasting with the pigs and you're eating and you're fat and healthy until you have that moment to realize, I guess what I'm saying is, is it's interesting that the, the process was, well, let me work to get in your good graces. So religion does that. So in my mind, I can't help but think that the church is the one that's there. Which goes to explain when he's talking about the ones that have been doing all the right things. If You go back to the beginning of what he said about the feasts, right? So neither Jew nor Gent. This is, this is why the great deception. <laughs> because the, if the church would recognize that we're lost then we would understand how to come back to the house. But then we also have to understand that when you come back to the house, that there is going to be ones that have been obedient that didn't break anything, that may be upset. That's why there's that dividing wall of hostility. That's why we're Hebrew. That's why we're going after this. That's why it's neither Jew nor Gentile because both sons are lost. But if we go back to the original intent, if I can just reiterate what he said in the beginning. We are honoring and governing the Moedim, the feasts. When the feasts were established in Exodus. When the feasts were established in Exodus, how many tribes were around worshiping at the tabernacle? How many tribes? Twelve. Just Judah? So all twelve. Twelve. So when it says the sons, B'nai Israel, he's talking to all the tribes. But somehow, all of the feasts in Exodus is a Jew thing. How is that possible if all of the tribes were commanded? You cannot sit in a chair and be like, I wonder which tribe I'm from. And then be like, well, I wasn't a part of that. It's all of it. When he gave those instructions for the tabernacle, when he gave, when he gave all of that, it was for all the tribes. Okay? But, but there were a couple tribes that didn't leave the house. There were a couple tribes that didn't leave the house. So now all of a sudden, when I've got a menorah in my, in my m- window... I'm a Jew. Why? Levite was a part of that. I just am a Levite that got divorced, left the house, ate with the pigs, and decided to come home. And the big brother, Judah, who went first is the one looking at me being like, what the heck? Are we understanding what it is that we're governing? This is why you can't think about being over there or in here, but being c- completely transcending above that, which is why he said, if you have ears to hear. I don't know how many times we've gotten into this where I've heard Christians be like, nah, all that stuff doesn't matter. Once saved, always saved. That's it. That's I, when you're talking about the, the lost coin in the house, the covenant crown. The covenant is not complete if one is lost. And we're gonna take the attitude of like, I'm all right, being the lost coin. At least I'm a coin. Okay. (laughs) Why? Thinking about the prodigal son, he said something super powerful. He said, and then the older one that was doing all the right things basically said, what's this party for? or that might be a harder analogy because they probably do know what this party's for, but regardless of where you're at in the story, isn't there something in us that's like, what's this party for? I don't know if, if how many times I have honored something just in the last year that I have had the Christian community be like, what's all this feasting for? What, what's this party for? I came home, and you're mad that there's a party celebration because there, Because if, if, if the prodigal son story happened on Yom Kippur, then what I'm here tonight to talk about is what happened five days later after atonement, which is Sukkot. That's why he said, get the calf. It's time to party because the kingdom is at hand because there's something that's coming, which is tabernacles. How can you have tabernacles and indwelling and an ingathering in the house and have a feast and not read that parable and not understand what exactly is happening and why his father said, Get the ring, there's a feast? We read it, like he said, one dimensionally, and that's great. It got us thus far but multidimensionally. Why? Just because heaven's celebrating because a soul was found? When that soul might have been found and put in a church program, but is still lost in the corner because it's still a coin? What is the celebration for? What is the rehearsal? What is the party We've been told all of, and I'm not saying that all of heaven's not. I'm just saying that when somebody comes to find Yeshua, that there's a party. But there is an actual feast for the ingathering of something greater than the one. Which is kind of an interesting thing to say when you're talking about the 99 for the one. But I don't know how many staff meetings I was involved in where the church actually thought that the one was them. That doesn't sound right. It is them, but not in the way they were saying it. They were saying, he's gonna leave all this to make sure that I'm comfortable. That's not what that scripture is about at all. There's nothing about eating with pigs, coming home, thinking you should be a slave and getting kissed on the neck. How, I, I, I said this today, how uncomfortable is that? I said this today and I didn't even know how to express it, but it was almost like atonement was one thing, 10 days of awe was one thing. Calling a 10-day fast where water is your sustenance, pretty much you start to realize that scripture that says, taste and see, or that you will no longer thirst or whatever. I don't even know what he says anymore. (laughs) You'll no longer hunger, but for me, right? So there was something about that press. And today I felt a shift. I felt something shift and I'm here to release uh, a, a part of that shift, but I felt a shift and it was almost like a holy trembling for tabernacles. I've been here at atonement on my face. I've been on the cot. I've been wrestling. It's been grueling. And yet you would think that that would be what would be like the fear. And it was almost like if you step into that house in your filth, and you get kissed on the neck and a party for you, that is almost like put me back in atonement. Like there, right? Like it's, it's one thing when I talk about tabernacles and it's like feasting Sukkot and it's so awesome. But there's almost like dwelling with the father because we have to understand religion said, give me my inheritance without you. I'm pretty sure eating with the pigs was pretty comfortable. Because without a father's presence, you can do whatever you want. So now all of a sudden you're in the house. I'm pretty sure that's where everything begins. And it almost makes you wanna go back to the wrestling. Like it makes you wanna go back there because it was a really powerful revelation to come crawling back. But when he says, get the rope, get the ring, it's time to party and you're the focus. Can I go back out there? maybe maybe in our fleshliness we're like nah that calf sounds good right now but dining on something with no accountability is easy so it's not like you wouldn't be starving anymore you would just be dining on something completely different but you wouldn't have any kind of fatherhood you would still get to be an orphan and and in that moment when you're like given a robe. There's almost like this trembling in me that I think I'd, I think I'd, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could, I don't even know if this makes sense. But I feel like, uh, so I say that because I do want to teach a little bit on tabernacles tonight. And with that, the shift that I felt for this family was that something in your personal process and in your fasting is going to shift on sundown on Sunday. (laughs) Meaning if you can attach what I'm going to say with what I just released, this is not a, oh, thank the Lord. This ends on Sunday but almost like a, oh, that 10 days of R, that Yom Kippur honoring or that atonement ends on Sunday to allow us Sunday at sundown to move us into a new place in the house during tabernacles. And I actually think the press might be harder, but it's not gonna be in food is what I'm seeing, like a shift is happening that up until this point, there's been something that's happened for you to understand some things that will bring you to a place. We are not celebrating corporately Sukkot or Tabernacles, but I do believe that there's a shift happening happening in each one of us come sundown on Sunday, which is when Tabernacles starts that is going to press us into a deepening in the father's house. Basically, I'm releasing a level of responsibility. The fast has lifted. The dwelling has begun. Have fun. And I'm saying that because while you could hear that in the flesh, yes, it's almost like a reverence of, but then I'm in the house. How do I walk? And you'll be thinking about this process since last Wednesday up until Sunday. How many times have you thought about him? Is that okay for me to say (laughs) that I don't think about him in the way that I have thought about him when he is pressing things that I am absolutely dependent on? 100% dependence and addiction has been completely exposed in me to the point that a false joy has been completely exposed in me. And I say a false joy because I woke up to the genuine joy, but then something has overtaken for me to just get through. And when I'm dependent on that and he takes that away, if I, I know I said we're not gonna share the process, but I'm just gonna say something for myself, I have decided to also lay down every single ounce of medication that I take. And when you have suffered sleepless nights, anxiety, depression, and you've been nowhere to go but just at least a doctor help me, I just said nothing enters my mouth. I'm sleeping. And I've woken up in the last two mornings with joy. And I had supernatural energy to get dressed, and I wanted to. Normally, I look cute. That does not mean I wanted to be. I need my water. (laughs) I actually wanted to be cute today. So when you recognize that you've been dependent on something but him, and then you're in the Father's house, I have a feeling that press is going to get deeper but I just feel like it's not gonna be in the physical. So I'm not necessarily saying it for each individual, but what I am saying is that I do see a shift that when Tabernacles hits, while we are not celebrating under a booth and we're not under an actual Tabernacle, you are going to feel and see and taste something about Tabernacles like you never have before. And you're going to, you're just gonna walk in that, whatever that looks like for you. that? Does that make sense? I wanna be clear, but I also don't wanna be so clear that I'm giving out like literal directives. Does that make sense? Um, so I, I wanna just, I wanna release a little bit about tabernacles. And I, I just, I am not able to leave that word about governing. Um, This is totally personal, Um, not for me, but for Eric. Uh, I believe that that word that dad released is for you. The reason why in the past fasting has not happened is because of that brother. Some things just can't be broken without prayer and fasting. But without the truth... That affliction brings more obedience and more Torah on our hearts is the difference in this season than any other season that you will see breakthrough. Because before it was only a partial word. Now we have the full word. And so there is going to be more more in that. But isn't it so powerful to think about, to honor Yom Kippur, to be able to understand that that we get a chance to... I, I, I don't have the words. It's not a chance to. But like when he was talking about the superficial layer of just what are we here for? And then to recognize that he told us to not only honor and observe, but to govern. But yet he does not want sons governing from the pig pen. Because you're still a son. And he does not want a son who is the lost coin acting like they got it all together, trying to talk to the ones who are in the crown. How do you govern? How do you gov- govern? Just think about on earth what it takes to govern. And, and, and thinking about... um. Okay, I'm just gonna teach a little bit on Sukkot, and I'm gonna see where it goes because I like cannot get out of this governing thing. I guess what I'm what I'm what I'm feeling is is do we do we understand that we are one of the other tribes? Okay, we we as a house are not Jewish, like meaning we're not from the tribe of Judah, right? So we are one of the other tribes. Those tribes left the house, broke covenant, became one of the, out of the coin, became one of the coins, broke and left. through Yeshua we have the ability to even hear that he said if you have ears to hear the only reason why we can hear is because of him that gives us the ability to come back into the house so he's restoring that covenant he's restoring your scroll to govern what he's always said to govern. And we're acting like this is new. You just, we just divorced and left it. And it was so long that we left it. It's not even recognizable. When he gave that analogy, I i mean, obviously I'm sitting over here, I've said that a hundred times. But like when he said it, it was just, it would, it, it, I want to like say it again. It, like, <laughs> You give something to Aenea, and she's obedient to it. And then her kids honor what that is. And then her, their kids honor. And then their kids honor. And then their kids honor. Can you just see how it just continues? Then you've got the Jalenites. And are they decide to break away from the father's house. Full-on Babylonian, I mean, I mean, acknowledges it. They're not even like acting like they're in the house. Full-on whore. Full-on idol worship, full-on out. So then you got the Shawnites. I think I've talked about this before. Same thing, generation after generation after generation. And then all of a sudden, the Renanites, 2,000 post-Yeshua, have a "caught" moment. Why am I having a cop moment in this moment? There's got to be something more. Somebody who could be hungry to be like, there has to be more than this Sunday revolving rat wheel. And I didn't even look at it that way. I just started falling out of my chair full of laughter. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that there was something more. All of a sudden, there's this group of people. It's called the remnant. And it's the Renanites. And they're like, what is happening And they start to, well, they have to leave what they married. So generation after generation, you got the Renanites and they are a full on married to like some idols. They have to leave that place. You have to remember, this is her inheritance. It's not really but she's been told that that idol worship is her inheritance. And then she decides to be this rebel, not her, but the generations after is a rebellious group of people that says something's not right here. But you're told, no, this is truth. This is the Bible. This is your inheritance. You're allowed to take your inheritance, do whatever you want with it, and you do not need the father. They have to leave that place. Then they have to blindly try to figure out what is all this stuff. Come to find out, she finds out her ancestors, Anaya, through the bloodline, have been doing this the whole time. And it would be those idol worships, worshipers that she was with accusing her. Why are you doing the Anaya thing? You were supposed to be over here. Why are you jumping over there? And she's like, that's my family. What, what you should, we should be, what, why is there a divide? Right? Because she's not saying I'm an Ananite. The Renanites are not saying I'm now an Ananite. They're saying I'm a Renanite in my father's house. And my sibling is a Ananite. This isn't probably making any sense. Right? This, this, what's going on? Huh? I thought I smelled smoke when I walked right over here. Um. Yeah, what was my example again? Oh, what happens when they come back? Did that make sense? that the Renanites are not trying to be the Ananites. She got married and had a bunch of kids and Renna got married and had a bunch of kids. Two separate families, same father. Two separate families, same father. Two separate families, same father. <laughs> Two separate families, same father. We We honor and celebrate Yahweh. Both houses have that in common, which is why we're going back to the original intent. But can you imagine the family that Renna's generations had to break away from to start doing some things that the father asked them to do after such a long divorce, they're going to be accused of being an Anaenite. But that is not the feast and the, and the Torah and all of the things that we're doing is not Jewish, it's Hebrew because all of the tribes were a part of it. Before the divorce, all 12 tribes were there. Can I, I'm going to say this, even Gentiles, all 12 tribes were there, including Gentiles. We'll probably get into that at a later time, but I mean, you guys know the story of Joseph, right? (laughs) I'm looking at him, nobody's responding. I'm like, (laughs) Joseph married outside the house. Gentile, married a Gentile. His kids are me. We'll get into this, but the 12 tribes divorce into two houses. And essentially, we still have those two houses. This is why you have to know this stuff so that when you're reading the word, you'll know when it talks about the house of Ephraim. But those houses were there for all of these commandments. That's why we can say now neither Jew nor Gentile. But here's the thing we're still in Jew and Gentile. Something's coming that will present neither Jew nor Gentile, but it's going to take the Renanites to say, Something is off here. And I've got to get my way back to my father's house, which is why the prodigals that came back, the father said, Get the robe. And that's why the Anaanites are gonna have to be careful to not be like, I've been here the whole time. And you can reverse the story however you want. The Christians and the Gentiles could be like, I've been here obeying Yeshua for 2000 years. What do you think's gonna happen to the house of Judah? You think the house of Judah's just out? If you were the one coin lost, you don't think the house of Judah isn't going to also be found? There is a story for the house of Judah as well. So all the Christians that say that's a Jewish thing, they missed it. They're out. We found him. Then you're the big brother doing all the right work. And when Judah comes in, you're going to be the one being like, but I've been here for 2000 years. Well, guess what? Judah said the same thing. Pre Yeshua. I've been here the whole time. And what, you Gentiles are just going to, right? But then, but now history repeats itself. At the time of Yeshua, Judah was in the house working. Mad. Because Yeshua came. And the Gentiles think they have access. So Judah's upset. But now 2,000 years later, guess who's out the house? Now Judah's, is this making sense? History repeats itself. There's a full story, two houses becoming one. You think one's gonna be one and one's gonna be one? He's gonna be like, you guys were both in the house and both of you were eating with pigs. Does that make sense? Because 2,000 years later, now history is repeating itself and Christians have put themselves on a pedestal saying we've got it all together. We're the ones that follow Yeshua. And when Judah comes in, they're gonna be like, we've been here the whole time. You're just gonna show up and you're the chosen one? Yep, they go first. Now you go back to that work analogy and they get promoted. I haven't even started on my notes. I wanna break this down so that we are aware of how this works every single year. I'm gonna speak a little bit about tabernacles because I want us to get ready for Sunday because sundown on Sunday, which is going to be the 15th of Tishri is the beginning of Sukkot. And if you are positioned to rehearse this, then I want us to be ready. And when I talk about that shift, part of the reason why we said 10 days is we really felt like we were supposed to honor 10 days. Because there's a process because next Friday we are going to be hosting uh, basically an encounter night where there's not going to be a whole lot of hosting. You're going to crawl in. I'm assuming these chairs are going to be moved. I think we might have some cots if you need a cot moment. And we are going to get on our faces and we're going to say, we don't know which son we are. And the moment I act like I do, we have a problem. I don't know. I don't know if I'm an Anaenite. I don't know if I'm a Renanite. I don't know if I'm a Levite, a Benjamite, a Judite. I don't, that's not how they say, but anyway, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know, but I know one thing. Before the divorce, Abraham, before the divorce, there is a father, Abraham, Moshe. There were some fathers before all this mess. Now here's the crazy thing. You might say, well, that's Old Testament. Before all this mess, there was a father. His name was Yeshua. find the common ground find the original find the beginning when I say father you guys know what I mean son but you guys also know that he was a rabbi and full-on Jewish that's why he said I have not come for you I came for the lost sheep of Israel who were the lost sheep of Israel when he was roaming the earth So before the divorce, there's that common ground. What we're celebrating with the Feast of Tabernacles is the ingathering. It's very agricultural. Do you guys remember when I taught on Pesach and it was barley? Remember when I said this crazy thing when I said it was common? (gasps) How dare you say Yeshua is common? But if you think about it, he's just the beginning. He's just the beginning. Barley was for everyone. It was common. Then you get to Shavuot and you've got the wheat. Then you get all the parables about the wheat and the tares. And then you got to bake it. And the breads of, you know, there's barley was common. You can just eat it and kind of cook it up a little bit. Wheat, there's some, you're not going to just put some wheat in your mouth. You got to do something with it. Tabernacles is the ingathering of the fruit. It's the agricultural time of year where you bring in the fruit. What does that mean? Yeshua came, and it's common, and it's for everyone. Shavuot comes, and there's some work to be done. Right? Acts falls and dwells in you. There's some work to be done. Tabernacles is the indwelling of the fruit. It's the gathering of his children. It's the gathering of his house. It's the gathering of his fruit. So... um, So just to kind of break this down, you have the month of Tishri, okay, which is the seventh month, right? We all know that. The first of Tishri is always Yom Teruah, one Tishri. It's going to change every single year. It'll be in October one year. It's going to be in September one year. This year, Hanukkah is at the end of December. Last year was at the end of November. Doesn't matter. It's always the first, not Hanukkah, but Yom Teruah is the first of Tishri, Count 10 days from that. So the 10th of Tishri is Yom Kippur. Okay, that's the 10 days of awe. 10th of Tishri, you've got Yom Kippur. Five days later, Sukkot happens. The reason why I'm saying this is because if you have this lens, you'll read the prodigal son in the timeline of everything I just said. So the uh, 15th of Tishri is Sukkot. 15th of Tishri happens to be this year, this Sunday at sundown. So I'm saying this because there's going to be a shift that comes. All right. Uh, so a couple things about Tabernacles is um, Tabernacles is the com- basically a memorial to remember what our ancestors had to go through when they did the 40 years in the wilderness. The reason why I'm saying this is because I don't even know. I I I I don't even know if this is gonna make sense. But when Moshe spent 40 days, 40 nights, if you look at the chapter in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 24, it's all about covenant. He's receiving his covenant instructions. Right after that, he gets the dispense information of the detailed instructions temporary tabernacle that moves around in the wilderness we know the word tabernacle is what I'm saying we've been saying the feast of tabernacles but let's go back to like religion or Christianity we know the word tabernacle right ark of the covenant they built it right. Okay. So tabern so you got to think about that tabernacle and why are we calling this the feast of tabernacles? There's an arcing that's happening when you begin to understand the I was going to say contemporary. What's the word? Not permanent. What's the word? Did I say Oh, I said contemporary. The temporary dwelling of who of where he resided. Okay. Then you fast forward to Yeshua's days, and what does he say in John one fourteen? It's probably like my favorite scripture, so I cry every time I say it. The Word became flesh. What word? What word? We. You have got to read the word in his time what word became flesh in john 1 14? there was no new testament there was no new there was no paul There was no, no, let's get into an argument about the writings of Paul and the hypocrisy of all this and that. And what about this? And I thought he did away with it. And all this stuff that basically has told you, you don't need the word. But the word became flesh. It's who he is. And while we've been over here married to idol worship, saying that's Yeshua. While the idol worship has told you you don't need the word. It is so easy 2000 years later to get into the semantics of all of Colossians, Galatians. John 1:14. There was none of that. So when the word became flesh, what word became flesh the very word christianity has said he did away with all that you're not obligated do you hear the level of divorce you are not obligated to your husband while you claim you're married you're married but you're not obligated to anything your husband is because the word became flesh Yeshua is Torah. Yeshua is the prophets. Yeshua is all the Old Testament. Sorry there was no New Testament when he got on the earth. But somehow we've created a doctrine that said that the New Testament, once he got on the earth, is just done. You're saying he's done. Your husband, the one you think you're worshiping. That's why we said the greatest lie in Christianity ever exposed is not so much the lie that's going to be exposed, but it's who you thought told you that lie. Because you're thinking your husband is telling you to dishonor him and making an, an argument out of it and pointing to your husband. Any <laughs> good? It's the epitome of the Renanites worshiping idols. Okay. John 1 14, he tabernacled. The word became flesh and he tabernacled among them. Do you see what was, what is, and what's to come? That they had a temporary tabernacle where he resided. Then Yeshua said, I have become that in the flesh and I will tabernacle among you. Then he leaves and says, I will dwell in a tabernacle. You are a tabernacle. Now you will, okay, we're gonna get into this this night season, but Paul was Torah observant. Very Torah observant. And I'm getting sick and tired of people misrepresenting Paul because he is in my cloud of witnesses and he absolutely was Torah observant. We are completely misunderstanding all of it. Why? Because we have our filters thinking he was a pastor. He was Torah observant teaching on Torah. But because we don't know Torah, we say he meant this when he's, that's not what he, you don't know Torah. He did know Torah. You guys know that much. Everybody thinks that somebody was Torah observant and they were this and they were that. And all of a sudden they just turned away from it. No, he's speaking to the ones who turned away from it. Anyways, where was I? We're going to get into that. This whole night season is going to be about all that, so I don't want to get into all that. But what was I saying? You, Paul talks about you are a holy temple. Where does he reside now? In the sons. In you. Okay, that sounds really amazing, and we stop there. Get those souls. I need him to live in more people so that we can be scattered throughout the earth. It works for a time. It's his storyline. He needs the Renanites to wake up. So he needed to dwell among them because a divorce happened. This is his great story. There has to be a redemptive story. He can't just leave it at that. There has to be a redemptive story. So he sends himself into the holy temple, you, and then we go. Amen. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. For what? Because there's coming a day that there will be a tabernacle on this earth. You are a tempor- temporary tabernacle, walking in the wilderness. But there's coming a day that we are rehearsing where Sukkot is going to happen and there will be a tabernacle on this earth and he will dwell. When all of our living waters are gushing together, <laughs> when all of us have come together. Where? So in the story of the prodigal son, where is he? In, right now, where is he? He would be inside of them, right? So let's just take prodigal son. Let's just transform prodigal son into right now maybe us right where is he dwelling in the sons he's in the sons out there and he's in the sons in the house that's where he's dwelling but there's coming a feast where he says get the calf get the robe get the ring Because the house will be restored and there will be a father in the house with the sons inside the house operating the way that they are supposed to ruling and reigning over this earth and all over everything else that will get exposed to us. Because there's more than earth. Is this making sense?
1: Okay.
2: I just want to break down the word tabernacle. Because like I said, We've been saying the Feast of Tabernacles, but there's also the tabernacle. And I don't want us to forget the tabernacle and the details of it. This is why I want us to understand the shift that's coming on Sunday. If anybody said, oh, we were fasting, and then all of a sudden Sunday, woo, I'm done with that. When Tabernacles comes, there's going to be some details. There's going to be a Moshe that's going to say this many feet, this long, this color, this fabric, over here, over there. That's why I felt like a holy trembling. Tabernacles is not fun and games. Tabernacles is is the indwelling of the fruit where both houses become one with strategic details. Do you think that this earth is going to be governed with his rulership? Just, party! Yes, because he's here, but he's going to he's going to be handing out assignments. He's that's going to be details. He's going to have some plans. It's like the it's like the end is going to be the beginning. We're we're trying to rehearse Tabernacles like it's the end. It's 8 days. It's the beginning. It's just the beginning. <laughs> tabernacles. The word is Mishkan means to dwell to fix one's tabernacle. You got some purple fabric where the red fabric's supposed to be? Abide or live in to occupy. Communion, protection, reside, a residence, a place, a temporary hut a temple of God after the pattern you are a temple let me, let me just say this you are a temple after the pattern in Exodus how many of you have read through Exodus and said that's a lot of detail skip to chapter 35 read it again and put your body in there because Paul, Paul said you are a holy temple now understand inner court outer court Middle court. You've got to, we're going to begin to understand this stuff because when he comes to Tabernacle, we're going to be the ones being like, what's the party for? What's going on? Habitation. A portable sanctuary. A place of worship. All right. A portable, earthly dwelling place. This is, well, that'll just send me down another road, but this is why this is so important about our governorship because we've also been taught only in the last 115 years, 150 years, none of this matters because the evil ones are gonna be down there. What's this party for? All right, I'm gonna release one more thing and then Gabi, you can come up here. I'm gonna release the Hebraic letters and this is where I'm hoping that our fast has done enough to where our spirit will hear this. But I wanted to release Mishkan. And I hope that this makes sense because I'm hearing in the spirit, but there are four letters to the word Mishkan. Remember the Hebrew word Mishkan is tabernacle. So on Sunday night at sundown, Mishkan has come. Think about that—that that scripture. The Word has become flesh. Why do you think I was so passionate in crying about His birth? Ah! You guys remember when I said that? When was He born? Tabernacles. Mishkan. Nun. Kof. Shin. Mem. four letters. Yom Teruah, 10 days of awe, Yom Kippur, Tabernacles. Nun, Kof, Shin, Mem. Four letters. We are rehearsing to get to or however you'd wanna say that, tabernacles. What I saw was four letters representing Yom Teruah, 10 days of awe, Yom Kippur, tabernacles. Mem, chaotic waters. Pretty sure when that trumpet blasts, there's gonna be some chaotic waters. There's definitely gonna be a stirring. No? I would think that there's going to be a stirring. Chaotic waters. This is multidimensional, there's that, and then there's also in us. Think about Yom Teruah, that blast, that blast, that breath, that warning sign. There's some chaotic waters going on, there's his sound. Shin, then the pressure comes. You go through destroying, you go through a press, and you start to separate. Also think about when creation happened. Creation happened on Yom Teruah. Think about the Genesis story. Chaotic waters. There was a hovering. There was a separation that was beginning to happen. Kof is the open palm. This is atonement. Your scrolls are open. His hands are wide open. You've been through the pressure. His hands are open. This is where he allows or tames. He's gonna allow some things or he's gonna tame some things. Nun. Well, nun is sun. Nun is also seed, which means life. That letter also means continual. Tabernacles, sonship, life life continued so just this 15 days 15 days then plus eight right 15th of tishri then plus eight as we celebrate you are receiving mishkan you're receiving the chaotic waters coming under pressure getting separated so that he can have an openness to being able to look at that separation and be able to allow and tame that pressure so that life can be continued. On earth for the whole next year. In the spirit for eternal. Life continued as tabernacles. Eternity. Amen? Do you feel that sundown on Sunday, that shift? For most of you, it's going to turn from a physical fast and affliction and you're going to begin a process of receiving uh, Mishkan. Meaning that you've gone through those things and you're going to start to enter into Nun. You're going to start to enter into seed. You're going to enter into life. And for most of us, you know, like I said, you would say, yay, life! But with life comes life and ruling and reigning. And I will say that if you are the coin acting like I'm in, but you're lost in the house. There's not a whole lot of life during that time. Amen. So Tabernacles is in two, two days, two, three days. The days are cut in half, but that makes sense? So next Friday, Gabby, you can come on up here. Next Friday, Will be the service where we allow ourselves we will have had at that point about six seven days of walking through mishkan walking through tabernacles walking through that life allowing him to dwell we know he dwells in us but what is it that he wants to create as a dwelling place for the sons to come into and we govern from that place not from the place of the prodigal son, and I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you don't. But does that make sense? You're walking through that process to be able to govern what's to come, which is a greater story than just the prodigal son. But the feast, when the father says it's time to celebrate, and are we going to be the ones that say, "What is? What is all? What is, why are we celebrating?" And do we know who's coming in what house and where you're at and what's going on and who's all that stuff is getting reconciled in us? And so we are receiving mishkan. And then on Friday we will basically come and we will encounter him, as in we don't know. We have no idea. Is that okay to say that we have no idea? Where are we in that storyline of the Rennanites? Amen.